So if you fire up your browser right now and search for teacher burnout, you're going to encounter some headlines like these. Pouring from that empty cup, teachers feel intense burnout, struggle with mental health. Or many teachers, staff face utter exhaustion in an untenable situation. And even two Virginia districts will dismiss classes early some Wednesdays to fight teacher burnout. And it's not surprising given everything that has happened over the past two years. Now, the episode that you're listening to was originally recorded in August 2019. But as you probably know, emotional exhaustion among teachers is not a new thing. So even though you won't hear any discussion about COVID or masking or teaching virtually, this conversation with two principals looking at research surrounding teacher burnout and how to fight it is still very relevant today. I hope you enjoy it. I remember the first four weeks, uh, it wasn't the students. I mean, those students were challenging, but it was things like getting feedback from my supervisor. That terrified me. It was uh, having to complete progress reports. And I'll be completely transparent. I remember one night, um, it was my fiance at the time, but I was in tears trying to figure out how to fill out progress reports. It was so overwhelming. And it was all these things I weren't expecting of just being in a work environment and a teaching work environment that it just kind of took its toll on me. And I was lucky enough to have great support to get me through that first year. But I thought about where would I be if I didn't have that first year support that I got or the type of support through my first four years of teaching. such an important topic because you see all the reports of, you know, the the applicant pool for teaching and the teaching candidates, teacher preps is getting thinner and thinner. And then if you look at the st statistics for working with students with disabilities or alternative or self-contained settings, it's even less than that. They're basically recruiting and trying to reach out as far as they can, looking at anybody who might qualify and it's out of necessity. So it's so, so important that we look at when we do get these teachers in, what can we do to retain them to develop their skills uh, for them to be successful. If you've ever been a teacher or been close to someone who's a new teacher, you can relate. Teaching is a hard job. And when teachers walk into that classroom for the first time, become responsible for 20 or so kids, have to write lesson plans, often spend their evenings grading papers and doing other paperwork, it can be overwhelming. My former principal will tell you I tried to quit six times. Today, we're looking at emotional exhaustion in teachers. Sometimes people might call it burnout. The teacher burnout is a little bit, it's, it's like a slow leak. You see it happening, um, but it's how do you support those teachers to make sure they get rejuvenated and that every summer is not a, am I going to retire this year or am I going to leave this year? From Frontline Education, this is Field Trip. Dr. Adam Brown is an assistant principal for Virginia Beach City Public Schools and teaches at Old Dominion University in the Ed Leadership Department. But he used to work at an alternative school for students with challenging behaviors as a teacher and then as a principal. I got in touch with Adam because of his research. When teachers, whether they're new teachers or not, get overwhelmed or exhausted, and when so many new teachers leave the profession within five years, what contributes to that? 
and what can schools do to support them and help keep it from happening? So I think for me, with when you're looking at burnout, and you know, you use the term burnout, but I also look at stuff called emotional exhaustion as another term I think is more appropriate. You, you have to look back and you have to reflect on why is this occurring. So I look back at my first year of teaching, um, and I went into this setting because I had not gone through student teaching yet, and they were kind of the only division that would offer me, hey, we work really challenging students, we'll provide you your license, but just come in and work for us, we'll hire in a provisional. And I said, okay, I might as well get a teacher contract while I'm getting student teaching, and I'll work what I, what I called with at the time, the bad kids. And I said, I'll do that for a year and then go into a comprehensive setting. He ended up loving it. But like you heard at the beginning, those first few weeks were rough. I thought about well, where, where would I be if I didn't have that first year support that I got or the type of support through my first four years of teaching. Schools that serve students with disabilities or behavioral challenges feel this issue even more acutely. It's hard to hire people to fill positions. And for leaders in those schools, providing support is critical to keeping those teachers. My former principal will tell you I tried to quit six times. That's Basil Marin. He's an assistant principal at Chambly Charter High School in DeKalb County, Georgia. But at the beginning of his career, he worked elsewhere, at the school Adam spoke about with challenging students. There, Basil and Adam worked closely together and became good friends. Yeah, I really need you to understand the, the velocity of the place we worked at. I mean, you got cursed out every day. That was a given. Uh, tables thrown at you, staplers thrown at you. I mean, these were some really great kids, but they had some baggage with them. And so for me, working at a former alternative school before that, as a behavior specialist, so I thought I was coming to a school where I really was coming to teach, right? To get better on my content, get better on my pedagogy and really teach. And, and, that, and that stuff did grow. But it was really some of the some of the ritual and routines we had to learn first. I wanted to quit because it wasn't what I expected. I didn't at first feel the support from my administration. I didn't feel the other people, other teachers around me. They knew I was new, but it was kind of one of those like, hey, he's he's floundering, but he has to figure it out. And so that didn't feel good to me. Uh, but I'll be honest, in terms of education, we, we are two percent of the teaching force. And so I didn't see a lot of other educators look like me. Um, and so that was important to make sure that I get what I needed from my environment. When you say educators that look like you, what do you mean? So there wasn't a lot of black educators, but black male teachers, I would say. So that was a, another thing where I felt like I was in my own silo and couldn't get what I needed from um, others around me. Now, I, I built community, but I didn't see someone look like me right away. Adam's research looked specifically at teachers of students who have emotional challenges, behavioral disorders, disabilities, and other at-risk populations. I asked him to compare what teachers who work with these students experience compared with teachers of the general student population. Yeah, and that, that's a great question. So going into the study, you know, me being a teacher working with these students before, I kind of had these inherent biases of what I thought the research or my findings were going to state. So I thought that it was going to be it was going to be the the students' behavior is just so overwhelming that they can't handle it, and that's what burns these first year teachers out. It's uh, that students not really getting the consequences at times that teachers might feel like they need that might burn them out. They feel like they're not supported by administration in that way. But what I found when I was comparing the research, what what research was available for this students with disabilities and with the teacher in a conference of school was, it was almost the same, which was unique to me. What was different about teachers working with students with disabilities, in particular emotional disabilities, was that the common everyday factors that burn all teachers out, it was 
I guess you could multiply it maybe by two <laughs> due to the behaviors that they faced. It was, you know, you're dealing with a challenging student and then you get feedback that's not the best. Are you working with a challenging student and then you've got to update grades that night because you didn't have time. So it's that type of factor that can really impact those teachers and it really can impact their emotional well-being at times. And I would imagine that it's also the kind of thing that sort of has a snowball effect when when a school is experiencing high turnover because some of their teachers are just exhausted. Uh, of course, that has downstream effects. If they can't find teachers to fill a slot, they might have to look to those who aren't certified yet or who are teaching in a different content area, for example. And then, of course, that means those folks are, I'm guessing, more likely to experience that same sort of sense of being overwhelmed. Is that a reasonable way to think? I think so. And I think that it's almost, when you look at behavioral terms, it's almost like a behavior trap. <laughs> it's what are some unique ways we can recruit new teachers? What are some unique ways that we can uh, keep our veteran teachers, but even veteran teachers in this type of setting, they can get burned out, even though they're doing a great job and they've learned how to really balance themselves. They, it still is a very challenging position and they look at times for other opportunities. So it's that constant cycle. Uh, I think I would challenge teachers and administrators and lead districts that are looking to recruit teachers specifically uh, for, for students with disabilities is increasing the amount of support that you provide during the year and make it specific to those teachers. If you want to retain them, I would almost challenge them to take part of the recruiting budget and put it into additional supports and see if that main, re retains more teachers than you expect. Because um, if you can keep them going, they feel supported, uh, that will kind of balance out the recruitment efforts that you have to do all the time. Adam said when he began his work, he found extant research about why novice teachers get exhausted and why they leave, but he didn't find anything about what keeps them motivated, what keeps them inspired. And he didn't find much research about veteran teachers, either why they're likely to stay in a position or what burns them out. So he asked them. What I did was it was a strictly qualitative study, so it was all interview-based, and I just asked them questions along the lines of, what keeps you motivated? What burns you out? What type of supports do you think you need? What advice would you give to an aspiring administrator looking to support? What advice would you give to your immediate supervisor right now? And I asked the same questions for the novice group and then the veteran group. And then I did a cross analysis and compared what, what kind of trends or what kind of findings to relate it, what were completely different. And I, what I found was you know pretty unique and it helped me kind of push forward what I think are great practices and strategies that you can use with actually within a school. Excellent. So let's talk about your findings. I'm thinking about um, teachers who are new to the field contrasted with those who might have 20 years under their belts. Uh, both can experience uh, burnout, but I'd imagine that it's different for different reasons. Absolutely. And I, I guess I want to have this disclaimer, if you can include this in the podcast, too, that <laughs> I'm providing these strategies. It does not mean that I'm practicing them with 100 percent fidelity. I, I strive to be a better administrator and I've had really strong years of providing support. and I've had years where I really needed to work. And so when I provide these strategies, I'm not by all means saying that I do this with fidelity, but I strive to get to this point. So with the novice teachers, some of the burnout factors were common things that you wouldn't really think about. And not, and this is pertaining to all teachers, is when they get into a work environment or they go into the pre-service week, it's things like, where do I park? How do I log into my email? What do you mean I have to develop a lesson plan for the first week? by day two for my supervisor. It's all of these unforeseen things that 
we don't really think about when you've been in the system for a while that you kind of already have planned back in June before August hits. And then it's also when you walk into the pre-service week and you go into the huge auditorium or the cafeteria, it's, it's where do I sit? <laughs> it's kind of being like a first year kid. I remember I, I grew up in a very small town that had 900 people in it. And then I went to a high school that had 2,700 people in it. And so I remember the terror that I experienced going into that cafeteria the first day. And I felt the same terror. I was just a little bit more mature to handle it, being a first year teacher. And so when you think about that, start planning for novice teachers that first week of just helping them and holding their hand through the first few weeks, giving them exactly what they need. And what I found from novice teachers is they said, just tell me what I need to do so I feel like I'm doing my job right. You know, try to eliminate surprises. Give me an exemplar that I can work towards. Just kind of hold my hand and then I'll feel more confident. So the self-efficacy part with novice teachers was huge. And that's throughout the first year. And it's things like, and I'm drawing from my own experience, but if you don't know how to do progress reports, having a professional learning opportunity will walk through hand in hand with someone. Um, having a really good mentor is, is really good. But it's also other things like when you receive feedback. Uh, what I found for novice teachers is my supervisor told me I was doing a good job, but maybe they were just saying that. Maybe, I re maybe they had a hidden agenda behind that. What did they mean by having a good job? They can't accept feedback or they don't know how to. Um, and it, it's going through working through the social dynamics there and how to accept feedback, how to receive feedback from an administrator. Another one is novice teachers felt like they were not able to ask for support or too afraid because it might feel like they can't do their job. And so what was unique about that is you almost have to have a safe channel or a safe way for, for teachers to, to reach out and ask questions and, and not be criticized or feel like they're not doing their job well. If you can accomplish in developing their self-efficacy in that first few weeks and getting them through the first six, seven weeks where they feel like they're doing okay and they start to gain some confidence, you'll really see a larger retention rate. And then you also see the burnout factors really uh, start to fade away. Or not fade away, but be controlled. The type of motivation that administrators can provide is, you know, telling them that they're doing a good job, if if they are doing a good job, um, telling them exactly, okay, this is where we need to work on, but let's let's work through this, let's talk through this, and showing them that it's going to be okay. If they make a mistake, they're not chastised for it, um, and so it's things like that. I also found with novice teachers is they have no way to disconnect from the workday. They all personal habits, healthy habits, a workout routine. Every single person said, when I get in my car, I'm thinking about what I didn't accomplish that, that day. I get home, I open up my laptop. Sometimes I'm just so exhausted. I go right to sleep. I don't work out anymore. My diet that I had during the summer is completely gone. And that starts to consume them too. So something that we've tried is providing ways for novice teachers to disconnect. So we get gift certificates from yoga places to gym memberships to you know, giving them gift certificates to restaurants. And we're saying it is okay at 4 p.m. when you go home to not think about work tonight. You go to do some hot yoga, uh, go run for a mile, uh, you know. And simply simply telling them that it makes a, a meaningful difference. Right. And it's almost, you can tell them that and the novice teachers still say, well, maybe that's a trap. Maybe that's a trick. Maybe they're setting me up. So maybe some type of support group within your school, anything to show them that it is okay to separate yourself and to just take care of yourself because if you're not taking care of yourself. You're not taking care of your kids. What was unique about the novice, or excuse me, the veteran group was 
they're very proficient at disconnecting. Every single veteran teacher was like, this is how I disconnect. I don't answer emails when I get home or I, I go to hot yoga every day. I know exactly what I'm going to do to disconnect and it helps me balance. And if I don't have that, I'm going to get burned out. So they've got that skill set. They're very self, uh, the self-efficacy is there a lot for veteran teachers. I know exactly what I have to do. I've already got my lesson plans going. Where their support was, and this is, and again, this is in my own practice I have to work on, is those veteran teachers who you never have referrals coming out of the room, you feel like they got everything set. They often cry for help in terms of, I want an administrator in there just to give me some type of feedback. I still want to grow professionally. I want to be challenged, but I never see my administrator. And I'm not going to complain when you give me the hardest students, but I still would like that support. And I'm not going to go out and seek help from you but I would like to see every now and then and not just once a year to let me know, hey, is everything good? Another thing is, is they want to feel valued or empowered uh, in terms of decision-making. So if you're making new initiatives, they want to say, okay, I've been in this building for 12 years. It would be nice if you reached out for help, if you would like my opinion, um, that type of empowerment. Teachers of all kinds also told Adam that their workloads are getting more and more intense. I had one veteran teacher talked about, you know, one in the morning, she hadn't gone to bed yet because she had to continue writing her IEP and it was paper spread off all across her, her bed as she was trying to make sure she got everything done by 4 a.m. that day when she had to wake up and she just started crying. She's like, I haven't experienced this before. So I heard from both kind of the, the trend between both groups was just the workload. It's just astronomical. Um, and that's another thing for novice is teach them an organization method of how to keep track of what their tasks and responsibilities are, because that's something that they'll they will struggle with for years. As an assistant principal right now, uh, Adam, talk to me. You've already touched on a number of these things, but as you think of the whole overview of how you address these issues in your schools, how you provide the kinds of support that both novice teachers and veteran teachers need, what other things are you doing or how have you changed your thinking around your role to provide the support that they need in order to thrive? So I find that, and again, I I was transitioning into a new role last year, and at times I struggled being the type of leader that I wanted to be, and that's just full transparency. Um, I experienced some type of administrator burnout at times because I was trying to tackle the world. I felt like I was working nonstop, trying to prove myself, and it really impacted, I think, myself as a leader. So my, my goals for the upcoming school year is really getting into the classrooms more, um, talking to people and just ensuring that they're doing okay and what their well-being is, um, talking through issues with them. I've, I'm happy to say that I'll be overseeing new teachers this year, so I'm excited about that. So some of the strategies that I've used for them is opening up kind of an online chat. Called, it's called the Boxer app, and it's a group chat where people can just safely ask questions and seek support from me, as well as our teacher leaders. And you know, as they go through the year for new teachers, can they when they're driving home, can they say, hey, I really struggled in this place today. I feel like I'm not making any type of impact with these kids. And then they have that instant feedback from me right away. We're looking at some book studies. Uh, we're continuing to do gift certificates for our new teachers. For, not, for veteran teachers, I'm seeking their feedback this year in terms of when I make decisions, I'm reaching out to them and saying, how does that impact you? You know, What would you have done differently? Okay, based on that feedback, can we adapt what decision I've made so far and can we work together uh, to make this more adaptable to meet your needs as well. And so that that's what I strive to be. I think the most effective time I've been as a leader was my first year as a principal was at an elementary school. And I really connected with the staff in terms of getting to know each person and every single day checking in on each person 
and I saw a lot of growth from them. I remember there was a teacher assistant who started college and got some credits and dropped out. And so collectively as a group, we support him getting back into college and support him with his uh, admission fees and stuff like that. And I found that when I was supporting them to that degree and focused so much of my time on making sure that they're good and, you know, still holding them accountable, that providing the support they need, that I saw the most impact on their daily practice. They were, they were at a place where they were ready to teach. We often say sometimes our students aren't ready to learn. Sometimes our teachers aren't ready to teach, <laughs> you know, so it's being there, being supportive, being there every day, being present about their emotional well-being, and doing everything you can within your power to, to help support them. And so that's what I'm striving to do this year. Basil, like I said, is an assistant principal at a charter school in Georgia. And when I spoke with him, he was in his first few weeks at that school. During that call with him and Adam, I could see on the video screen that he was answering emails at the same time. He had to take another phone call, and he chatted a message to us saying, Sorry, gentlemen, the work is never done. So he can relate to what new teachers are feeling. And he said from his perspective, providing the support that they need is all about relationship. It's weird when you're an administrator and your teachers are coming to you, you're supposed to have the answers, right? Um, and so you kind of have to smile through some of the questioning and say, hey, and I'm as real with them. I say, I'll get back to you. I don't know that answer, but I'll get back to you. But I want to be clear, that's the time of building relationship. And so you really have to get back to that teacher and follow up, even if you didn't know the answer. And that even, even not knowing is okay, but the follow-up is what builds that trust. What kinds of things are you doing or will you do or do you want to do to address some of the issues that your teachers might be facing? And as a follow up to that, what kinds of things can people who are supporting principals and APs do to support administrators? Absolutely. So. One of the things I'm, I'm going to definitely look at this year is the mentoring piece. As I just spoke about, I'm new and the, une- the uneasiness and trying to figure my way. So I know there's some teachers who are in the building who are brand new as well, who are feeling some of those same things. So it is checking in with them, making sure that they have my number if they have a question. Because a lot of times administrators feel so far removed from, from the classroom that you don't want to ask a question like Adam was saying because you don't want to seem incompetent. But I want them to know, hey, I'm here to support you. And I've been very real with my new teachers I'm from a whole different state, so I'm I'm feeling my way through, and we're in this together. Um, and so I think when they see you kind of bring it down and be really transparent, they're like, oh, wow, okay, I'm not the only one struggling. I might not know the system that they use for their attendance or for their grading, but I would make sure that they got a department chair who, who is familiar, a veteran teacher, to be able to support that teacher and be able to help them um, as they're coming in new. I believe I want to have a breakfast in a couple of weeks to really welcome teachers to come in and say, hey, what are some things that you really like about the school? What are some things that you're really excited about this year? And then what are some areas for, for growth for yourself and areas that you want to continue to grow in as a teacher? And I think you have to have both sides, right? You have to be able to say, these are things I'm really good at, but these are the areas I want to grow. And I think you want to create a safe place for people to be honest and open because anyone can come to a room and just talk. But if it's not real, then real change is not happening. So I want to make sure I'm supporting my teachers. I want to make sure I'm stopping in. And then most importantly, I want to make sure my feedback to them is meaningful and relevant. I can break down the standards and make it sound nice and fluffy, but is it meaningful? Is it helping you to grow as a teacher? I asked Adam and Basil as principals who are very busy, days packed full of meetings and emails and working with kids and parents from start to finish, 
How do you stay energized? What is the best support that people can provide for principals whose plates are full to overflowing? And Adam told me about one point in his career. He had a pretty good routine. He was generally able to disconnect at the end of the day, keep a balance between work life and home life. And then he transitioned into a new position. And that sense of balance got disrupted. On the ride home, I literally could not stop thinking about work. Uh, When my wife would call me, I was half focused on what she was saying because I was thinking, okay, do I have any emails in the past two minutes? (laughs) It It was that. And then on the weekends, it was when I'm not spending time with my kids, I would be working. I would check my my phone when I was putting my son to bed. And I just, it was kind of a realization that it's not improving my job performance at all by getting to this point. It took me a while to, to remember that. And so I developed kind of a organizational system where I'm making sure I'm writing down all my notes right away, uh, that I am checking my emails at certain times. I researched kind of effective ways to maintain your email, maintain your job responsibilities, provide valuable feedback. And so it's just that consistent desire to to grow and to reflect. And then I also made sure that when I got home, uh, I put everything away, spent time with my kids until they went to bed. And then as soon as they went to bed, I sit down on the couch, open up my laptop and try to work some. And so it's that type of just consistent reflection. Adam said it also helped to connect with others who were going through the same thing. Every day, he and Basil would talk on the way home from work and process the day. It feels so good to just hear someone say, oh, I'm experiencing the same thing, you know, and, and you feel validated that it's normal what you're going through. And I think we forget that sometimes. And for a new teacher, that's extremely important as a minister to go up to them and say, man, it is October and I, I feel like I haven't gotten anything done. And they're saying, wow, if they, if they haven't done that, then I, I might be doing something okay. Basil agrees. He said that connecting with people at conferences, through Twitter chats and PLNs, professional learning networks or personalized learning networks, can provide that support that teachers and administrators need. Having a PLN, a PLN is huge, the professional learning community, and and that's the group that's going to be able to pick you up when you're on your face <laughs> uh, and you need that pick me up. And we all know the different times of year where it's hard. You know, we definitely know when school, when school starts, we're excited and then we get to Thanksgiving, it's a little rougher. And then Christmas time, we're crawling to the finish line and then we're rejuvenated again. And then spring break comes. And these are some of the things that it, it is in Adam's research during those times of the holidays are the roughest times for teachers because of, of the burnout and because of how you feel emotionally when you've given your, when you've given your all to students in your classroom. So I think for me is the biggest word I come out, I come out with it with the podcast today is having that support um, and make sure the support group is supporting you and that you're supporting others. I think too, if you become a mentor to somebody else, that will encourage you. Um, as Adam has said, he's mentored me. So I think when you mentor somebody else, it helps you to kind of navigate some of your own problems. I asked Adam and Basil as they've done this, as they have worked to provide the kinds of support that teachers need to keep their mojo. Give me some examples. How did it work out? I think for me, I, I look back to that first year that I was a principal uh, and I was really focused on the, the well-being of staff. And I'm always focused on the well-being. I think I just implemented the best that year. But I, I remember there was a time where we had went out to, to dinner after it was like professional learning day. And and part of the thing was let's all leave at two o'clock and just have lunch. And the staff there, um, and actually I have it up in my office right now, it's the Dr. Seuss book of uh, Mr. Brown, can move, can you? And so they wrote this really nice kind of insert narrative about the impact that it had on them, them this year and the growth that they experienced. So it was just kind of 
reassurance that all that time and effort put into the well-being of the staff uh, really made an impact. What was unique was, as I reflect on this, my it will be my seventh year as an administrator now. Uh, what was unique about that first year was I was so focused on the well-being of my staff that I didn't get to as many observations that I would like, but I felt like I got the relationships there and the, and the student growth was there too. And then I kind of got away from that a little bit and I got to, okay, we need to make sure everyone's meeting deadlines, everyone's being held accountable. And I kind of gained that mindset a little bit and there were various reasons for that, but I got away from the relationship aspect and the student growth wasn't there. <laughs> it didn't impact anything other than I wrote more people up, I put more people on action plans. And um, at times that is needed, but I didn't see any type of growth and it didn't really form the relationship. So I'm trying to get back to that balance of, you know, holding teachers accountable, but also, you know, developing that relationship and getting to that point again, where I feel like I can rest easy that I did everything I could and that not only are the students welcome into a positive learning environment, but the teachers are as well. And they feel comfortable coming into my office. And I feel it feel that can be a, kind of on the same playing field as them um, towards that common goal of impacting students every day. And I think that that's where I strive to get back to, to be to every day. And I think that the research and the dissertation was kind of that wake up call saying, you're getting away from those things that made you successful to begin with. Um, get back to those and get back to it fast. So I think for me, uh, I have several stories, but I think the best one to share is I had a teacher um, who just, I could just sense they weren't happy, right? And one of the things I, I love I love about kids is they are very honest. <laughs> so kids did not want to be in her class. They caused a lot of havoc in her class, a lot of behavior problems. And then this teacher just wrote a lot of referrals. So we had to sit down. Um, so after I got like my, you know, 20th referral in like two weeks, I sat down with the teacher and I said, listen, so let's have a talk. Let's just clear the air and, and what's, what's going on. So this is bigger than just classroom. This is bigger than just education. Like what is going on with you and, you know, where are you at as a teacher? And when we had this conversation, um, she she was open and she she kind of broke down in, in our conversation to her and I one on one in our classroom. She kind of explained to me that she lost the joy for teaching, that when she was moved from the subject concept that she really liked, for instance, that she was in biology and now we moved her to physics, he really enjoyed biology. So that that move really, um, she wasn't, she didn't agree with. And so that kind of took away the joy. So now she just doesn't like teaching anymore. So the kids can just feel the environment and felt that they didn't want to be there. She didn't want to be there. They didn't want to be there. And she said no one ever really asked her what she wanted. So I had went back to the department chair to listen, you know, we have teacher who's teaching physics, has a higher end class, but, you know, I think her gifts and skill set are really in biology as a way we can switch her back. And maybe, you know, I think we'll see a different teacher from out of her. And so she uh, she was able to get, get moved back. And it was a drastic change in terms of behavior in the classroom and in terms of the enjoyment and teaching. I mean, I want I wanted her to do several lessons and to opt to observe. And she was excited again. You know how the kids separate groups. They were going on more field trips. And as a cause of that, Ryan, the, the behavior went down crazy in the classroom. Um, there were a number of behaviors and it really was a different environment. So for me. I think it was having that conversation, right, and, and and hearing her out. And she had told me later on, she wrote me a thank you note a couple months later. I said, thank you for being the administrator that came in and found out what was wrong. Thank you for for getting my getting my reason for and wanted to hear my reason for why I was upset. But then not only hearing me, but following through and putting me in a better situation, which only gave me more happiness, but then I was able to support the students better. 
And I explained to her, yes, that, you know, we're not always able to move classrooms. And sometimes, you know, life happens. We don't always get what we wanted. But in that that moment, I felt like it was best to try to put her back where she needed to be. And she told me later on the end of the year that she is contemplating leaving education. And she didn't tell me that before. So I, I think back now, if I had taken the time and had really got to know her and understand what her issues were, would she have left education? And we would have lost an awesome science teacher. So sometimes it's having the simple conversations, Ryan and Adam, and just saying, hey, where are you at? How can I support you? What do you need? And if people are being honest and genuine and authentic and giving you the answer, then you as a, I, I have the influence as an administrator to make change to do what's best for kids. And that's what's exciting about it now is if sometimes you're a special to so your quasi position, you can hear the concerns or a coach, but you really can't do anything about it other than tell your administrator. But depending on that, who that administrator is, they might not change it, they might not care. And so now I'm, I'm very intentional about using my influence to do what's best for students, best for teachers, and then what's best for the school. But just having those real conversations and being uh, be able to understand where people are at, I think is huge. Well, as fa- as a father of a sixth grader and a third grader, I can tell you, I know that teachers matter and principals matter. The work that you're doing is important. So thank you both, Dr. Adam Brown and Basil Marin, for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for your thoughts and insights here. Thank, thank you, Ryan. Field Trip is a podcast from Frontline Education. Frontline's industry-leading software is designed exclusively for K-12 and is built to help school systems recruit, hire, engage, develop, and retain their employees because we believe that makes a huge difference for students. For more information, visit frontlineeducation.com slash fieldtrippodcast. For Frontline Education, I'm Ryan Estes. Thanks for listening and have a great day.